thankful for that. You will go ahead and turn with me over to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. It's what we'll be reading this morning. As we spent the past couple of weeks in the gospel, we continue that to, to see the thread as, as God continues to, to integrate things in and out of Scripture to bring us to the point in Scripture where we get the gospels and the life of Jesus and ultimately what He did for us, that good news, the good message that we have. Um, and I know for myself, there's not many things that I can really string through over a couple of days without changing or shifting, but we see God's consistency, His plan, His direction, and His desire throughout all of Scripture here. And it's awesome for myself to read through Scripture, to study through Scripture, and to see the progression of what God is doing and realize that He had this thing all in control, all in plan, that He knew what He was doing, even when we didn't know, when we didn't understand, when the people in Scripture were confused, and they didn't know what was going on, God was in control. God was leading to something greater than we could imagine. Amen, and I'm thankful for that. So Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 is what we'll read today. We're going to talk about promises, promises. And we'll get into what that means here in a moment. But Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 reads like this. It says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as, an, as a heritage. I am the Lord. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. Amen. Before we get into the really meaning, let's talk about what it means to be stuck in bad places, right? Have we ever been stuck somewhere? Uh, maybe you went and you went outside and, and your kid had just got to that age where they could reach the doorknob and they reached up and they flipped that little thing. And you didn't take the keys because you were just running outside to feed the dog or to get something out of the car or whatnot and, and, or get the mail and you come back and you wiggle that doorknob and, and it's locked. And you can hear a little child giggling on the other side because they think it's so funny. And you try to talk them through the process of do, undoing what they had just done. I know many of you all go up into the woods and, and four-wheelers and side-by-sides and stuff. Maybe you've been up there in a really muddy time or you've gotten to a precarious angle or whatnot and you've got stuck. You can't get out and you have to sit there for hours waiting until somebody else comes along with a tow hitch and they can kind of pull you out, right? You get stuck sometimes. Maybe one day you decided, I'm going to go out with my Aunt Janice to shop. And you go out with Aunt Janice because you haven't spent a lot of time with her lately. And she's getting older and you just want to you know, know that you love her and everything. And you go to the store and you're ready to leave. But when you go to find Aunt Janice, you realize she's found an old friend that she hasn't seen in years. And they just started talking and reminiscing and going about all the other things. And Aunt Janice has the keys to the car and you're ready to go. And you've already paid, but Aunt Janice don't look like she's ready to go anytime soon. And you're stuck, right? We get stuck in a lot of situations in life. We've all been in places like that. And I think you, as we understand the story, and we'll express that a little bit here in a minute, as we understand the story that the Scripture picks up from, we can say that the children of Israel are, are, are stuck. That's a good definition of what it is. They're stuck in the worst way. They're stuck, they're trapped, they're enslaved. We understand from Scripture that for over 400 years, the children of Israel, after Joseph passed away, we understood that he goes into Egypt land to God working in, in mysterious ways and beyond what Joseph was thinking. And he goes in and, and, and be, through his obedience and everything, he gets to a position where his family can come in and find safety, find harbor, find a place where they can find food and be comfortable. But during a famine that was going on in the Middle East at that point. 
Um, he died, and the Bible says that there came a, a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph for the great things that he had done, basically, and that he began to look at the children of Israel as a problem, as a problem and as a resource that he could use. Because he's afraid, well, these people, they're a great number of people. They keep expanding. They keep growing. They're going to end up over, overrunning us one day. And then he said, and basically, I don't want none of that. Right? So he begins to enslave and capture. Even though they were already there, he begins to change their role in society. And making them slaves. To, to build the, the, the great things that they built at that time. You know, it might have been the pyramids. It might have been different constructs and, and things that they had. Temples and buildings that they had. And... Uh, with, with these stone structures. We, we don't know exactly what they built, but we know that that's what they were used for because Scripture references them building stones and things like that. So we see this. This is a bad place. And it got to the point where the Pharaoh was so frustrated, so afraid, and even disgusted by the people of Israel that he sends out a decree to take all the young males and to throw them in the river and let the crocodiles and everything devour them then so to hinder the children of Israel's further growth and expansion as a people. This is stuck in a in a pretty bad place. Yeah. Stuck in a pretty bad place. Now you know a lot of the examples I gave, they're silly, they're funny, you know, and, and that stuff we get stuck in. We we can get through it, you know, it's something that's a bother maybe in that moment or a little frustrating in the moment. We get through it. We get through the day. But the reality is, is there's a lot other worse things and situations and seasons and times in life that we can be be stuck in. We can be stuck in. A few examples is, you know, it's really easy. I was talking to someone on Facebook the other day, or, and uh, they acted like, you know, addiction was just something that was just easy to avoid and easy to get out of, right? I've worked in recovery ministries, and I've got family that struggle with addiction, and, and we all know that. We live in Campbell County, probably one of the worst places to deal with addiction in, in the state, if not, you know, the country. Really awful, really bad, per capita at least. And, and you know, I begin to talk and discuss with him, you know, that it's really easy to get trapped and ensnared by addiction. You get into a, a difficult season in life, some hardship or heartache has come, loss of a, a friend or loss of a family member or loss of a job, maybe different things, and, and you're just grieving and you're hurting and the wrong person comes wrong, comes around at the wrong time, right? And they offer some way to avoid the pain, to get rid of the sorrow, to, to, to numb it out, and, and that's all you want. That's all you want in that moment. You take it and, and then you're stuck. You're stuck. Maybe you get the uh, call from the doctor. In some kind of diagnosis, or cancer, or some you know some other disease that really doesn't usually have a good prognosis, and and they set up the treatment plan, right? And they schedule you to come once a week or twice a week, or whatever it is, for for six months and take this treatment, and and you go and you do the best you can. You change the things that you eat, you change you know what you do, your activity levels, you do all these things that you're supposed to do, and, and you go back towards the end of the thing, and it's not really got much better. And you feel kind of stuck, stuck in a bad place. Maybe there's and there's people that deal and struggle with mental health, right? You go to get the counseling and and you try, you really try to, to to really overcome those hurts, overcome those things and those those walls that are there, those things that make you struggle. And and even no matter how hard you try, though, there in the corner of your mind, there those oppressive feelings and and emotions, those negative feelings of of anxiety and depression and self-loathing, they they just remain there. And you just feel stuck. You just feel stuck in, in this bad place. Maybe there's people that are in abusive relationships or had abusive parents and, and you've tried to hide it and, and nobody else knows, but you know it's not good for you. You feel it in within you and you know this isn't the place you need to be. You know this isn't the situation that's healthy for you or your kids or your family or whatever, but you feel stuck. You don't know what to do. 
You don't know how to deal with this situation, with this circumstance, with this season, with this moment in life. You're just stuck. Stuck in a, in a bad place. But what can we do when we feel stuck in these bad places? When we're desperate for something to get out of this place, what can we do? We see that Moses in this scripture that we read gives us a great example. Okay, So let's talk about remembering the promises. So we understand that's what happened to the children of Israel. They're there, they're enslaved, they're unchained. Whenever Moses' mother hears the decree, you know, that all the males and everything, they had to be killed. She, she gets to the point, she weaves the basket, has the sun and everything. She gets to the point where she puts the sun in the basket, puts him out in the, the river, basically, you know, just saying, God, I'm just trusting you, putting this in your hands, right? Goes down, we understand that Pharaoh's daughter finds him and that she raises him and he spends the first 40 years of his life in the palace. Being raised just like a prince, he doesn't have the throne as an option, but he's raised just as a prince, like the, the Pharaoh's daughter's actual begotten son was. Then we know that he runs away. He kills an Egyptian that was attacking an Israelite. He, he runs away into the wilderness. He finds a wife, has a family and everything. Then 40 years later, he comes back. Okay, And he comes back and, and he says, you know, I'm going to deliver these people. Hooray, right? That's great. That's what we think. You know, we read that story and we think that's exciting. That's great. We, we think of that and, you know, we, we, we find parallels in other scripture. We find parallels in other stories that we like to read in media and movies and shows and stuff. We see that parallel. And usually it's exciting. It's encouraging. It, it's just something that we get really, really pumped about. But the reality was they didn't. They didn't. His people thought he was crazy yeah. when he first came along. He said, no, they said, no, no. Who do you think you are? You spent time in the palace. You're not one of us. He goes to Pharaoh and says, Hey, this is what the Lord God says that you should release his people. And Pharaoh's just like, Nobody. That ain't going to happen. Pharaoh gets so incensed by what Moses was even suggesting that he goes and makes life harder on the Israelites. And I bet you can guess that they didn't like that too much. Who is this man coming out of the wilderness that all he's known is freedom in the palace and freedom in the wilderness. It was the wilderness, but he was free, you know. All he's known is freedom, and here he's going to come and tell us, and when he gets something started, what happens? Nothing good. Nothing good. It just goes bad from there, right? That's where we pick up here in this scripture. So let's read Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8 again. It says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now that's exciting, right? Here's God. He sends His servant Moses to come and to speak to the people and to give them this new proclamation, this new declaration. Hey, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be yours. You're going to be delivered. You're going to have the freedom that you've been looking for, that you've been lacking for 400 years. You're going to be delivered. That's great stuff, right? Only thing is, it wasn't a new proclamation. It wasn't a new declaration of the Lord. Genesis 15 Verse 18 says, this is God talking to Abraham. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great, to the great river, the river 
Euphrates. So Moses didn't come and give some new knowledge or break out some new revelation from God or open up the Scriptures and proclaim some new wisdom or new proclamation that this is what God says now. This is what God's going to do now. No. God sends Moses not to give this new proclamation, but to remind them of the promise that he had already spoken. Now, like I said, we all get in bad places. We all get stuck in bad places. Stuck in difficult times and rough situations. And I know for myself, when I've been stuck in a bad place, in a difficult situation, when things aren't going my way, when I feel frustrated and confused and even get to the point of desperation, a lot of times in my life, I want to see God basically step out of heaven, speak this new proclamation over my life, speak directly to me and just have a great emotional time. I want to have dreams. I want to have visions. I want to hear His voice in the cool of the day. I want God to do something new and fresh in my life. But the reality is, many times in those situations, all I need to do is to remember the promises that He's already spoken. And in essence, that is what God is telling His people here in Israel at this moment. You don't need something new. You don't need something fresh. You just need to remember what I've already told you. And the world likes new and fresh. What's the nicest thing, newest thing, the the biggest thing going on right now? And they want to latch onto that and they want to get excited about that. And a lot of times it takes people experiencing something new to get excited. But God says, hey, just remember what I've already told you. What I've already promised you. What I've already spoken to your situation. What I've left you in the scriptures that, that you can learn from, that you can grow from, that can help you in this time. Remember the promises. In Scripture, there's over 3,000 promises that we know that God has spoke, or that was from a man of God that spoke, that spoke in, in, in lay of God or for God. Promises given to us that we can count on, that we can be assured of, that we can know that He is going to fulfill. We don't always know in what way or fashion He will fulfill them, but we know that His promises are something that we can trust in, Right? Now, I can just leave you with those 3,000 and say, go and study them. There's little books at different, that Walmart usually has them. You can find them like for 99 cents that you can find. You can go through and it shows you if you need a promise or need to know what God says about this situation, that situation, you can go and do it. But I picked out something I want you to go through that I feel like are really relevant for us when we're in difficult times, when we're desperate, when we don't know anything else to do. Scriptures and promises that we can look at and learn from and grow from. Amen. Matthew 11:28 promises us rest. It says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." He promises rest. He says that. He says, "I will. If you come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest." Now he doesn't dictate what rest looks like, and we don't. It might look like different than what we desire in that moment. But he says, "I will give you rest." Philippians 4:19 says, "And God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus." It says, "All you need." He promises that you will have what you need. Now that doesn't mean what we want, and we 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 question or you ask somebody what they need and. And a lot of times we'll hear more about what they want than what they need. That, I mean, that, we get that confused a lot of times. But he promises you will have what you need. What you need. Not necessarily need to be famous. Or not necessarily what you need to be rich or to be well off. Or really even to be comfortable. But what you need 
to be the person that God wants you to be, to live the life he wants you to live. You will have what you need. That's a promise. You might be in a situation and you might think, well, I don't even have what I need. But trust in God. He will give you what you need. Right? Matthew 28, 20 says, Teaching them to observe, this is part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. He will always be with us. That's a promise. Right. You might be in a desperate and difficult place, and you might feel alone, and you might feel sad, and you might feel like nobody else cares, and nobody else is around. He has not left you. He says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. That is a promise. It's a declarative statement that has no wavering in it. Not I may be, or I'll try to be, or I hope to be, or we'll see if I can be. If it works for me, I will be. He says, I will be with you always. So you might be stuck in a bad place. The children of Israel were in a bad place, and they probably thought that that God had forsaken them. He says, I will be with you always. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. He promises strength and help. Strength and help. Trust me, there's times in my life where I felt weak. Where I felt unable to go on. Where I felt insufficient means to get to tomorrow. To make it through this struggle. To bear this burden. To go through this difficult time. To get through the valley. To get through the storm. And I felt weak. But scripture in the Bible tells us here. He says, I will give you strength. And I will give you help. Help will come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it is God moving in our lives specifically to encourage us. Sometimes He sends somebody that we don't expect and to come by and help us. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's just enough to get through the day. But He will help. He's not going to look at you in your situation, you're desperate, where you're pleading and crying out to God, just crying out that He would do something. He's never going to look at you in that place and be like, they'll figure it out. They'll get, they'll get through this. They know what to do. They can do it on their own. He looks and he's, He will send some form of help and strength into your life. This is the promise. He says, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And this last one that we have. I love it. John chapter 14, verses 3. says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, there's that declarative word, I will come again, and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He promises us in a declarative statement with no wavering in it, I will come again. There is no doubt, there is no question about that. Scripture goes on and says in places that no man knoweth the hour, no, not Christ himself, only God the Father knows when it will, and it is that he will send his son back for us. We understand that, but we can be confident in this promise that he has made, I will come again. And trust me, there is times in my life 
And no doubt, probably times in your lives where where it's it's difficult to see what's going to happen. It's, it almost feels like Lord's just left this world sometimes to do what it wants to do, and we and it's easy to question. The enemy wants us to question these things, but we can be confident in this truth that Christ will return. He says, "So that where I am, there you may be also. There you may be also." That this promise that we have that hey. God says, I ain't going to leave you. I ain't going to forsake you. We understand that. But I've gone away for a season. And I know that might be hard for you to deal with right now. I know you want to be with me. I know you want to be close with me. I know you want to walk with me. I know you'd like to be in heaven right now with me. And that's our, our heart's desires, right? We want to, to live for eternity in paradise with Jesus Christ in heaven. But we know, we know that He will come again. Maybe not right now. It might seem. It might not be in my lifetime. It might not be in Harper's lifetime. I don't know. But He will come again. And until He comes again, all those who die in Christ, one day will be resurrected with Him him, and go into heaven and spend eternity with Him. We have this promise, this guarantee, this knowledge. So what we should learn from this is that we can look to the promises of God when we are in desperate times and bad places and be assured that He will do what He said He will do. Now how does this connect with the Gospel? Right? How does this connect with... We understand He makes His promises and we can trust Him in His promises. How does this connect with His promises? Remember what we read last week. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. We understand that this is the promise of the coming Redeemer. And if He made that promise with the coming Redeemer... We can be confident that if He's fulfilled all these other promises, that this promise too shall be fulfilled. What He was trying to communicate to the people in Israel at this point was, Hey, I'm going to make a lot of promises to you between your conception back with Abraham and with all the way throughout society and civilization. You're going to have these promises that I'll have for you. And I want to go ahead and show you right now as I deliver you out of Egypt that if I promise it to you, I'm good for it. So that every other promise I make... You can be confident in that as well. And he says, even that promise that I made back in the garden, before any of you all were there, before Abraham was there, Isaac and Jacob was there, back with Adam and Eve, and that was what we had, and Satan was there. That promise I made about the Redeemer, I'm good for that too. If I said it, I'll do it. And in this understanding, he builds this trust with the Israelite people that they can trust in his promises when he says something. Because here they are for 400 years in Egypt land, burdened down, enchained, enslaved, whatever you want, whatever, however you want to picture it in your mind, they're in a bad place. And he says, I made a promise to your forefathers. And I'm going to tell you something new. I'm just going to remind you of the promise that I made. So that you know if I promised it to you, it's going to come about. And it's going to happen. And we can look at all the promises in Scripture and realize that everything that was, that was promised of Him, for Him, of what He would do, of how He would live His life, has been and was fulfilled while He walked upon this earth. So I was with somebody the other day. The only things that we haven't really seen fulfilled is bits and pieces of, of Daniel that talks about the end of times and revelations. Most every other, other thing that we've seen prophesied and promised has come about. Yeah. So if all those things are true, God is true. Right. And if he says that they would send a redeemer, we can trust in that. And that's what happened in the gospel message. And that's how this ties in with the gospel. He's saying, hey, 
Every promise I make is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And because we've seen each and every promise fulfilled, because no matter what we've faced, no matter what we've went through, no matter what's happened throughout history, no matter what power in, in the earth or the air has tried to come against it, His promises consistently came to be, we can be confident that His promises are still true today. But I want you to walk away with what I want you to understand, what I want you to just hold on to this morning as, as, we, as, as we end this, is in desperate times, when you're stuck in the bad places, when it's difficult to get through even a day, and you don't know what to go through, you don't know what to do to just to how to get through it, in these times, we can count on God's promises. These promises where He promises rest, He promises strength, He promises help, He promises His presence, He's promised what we need, He promises that He will come again to take us home to be with Christ Jesus in heaven, or with the Lord in heaven. We can be confident in those promises. And those promises can bring hope and strength and comfort and that little bit that we need just to get through the day, to get through the storm, to get unstuck. And out of that place that we were stuck in, His promises can give us that which we need. So you might be sitting there waiting on some new new voice from heaven to speak out and give some new wisdom and new knowledge and new revelation and, and to, to give some great proclamation of, of, you know, you are Jacob or you are Gilbert and I see you in your situation and you need to do this, this, and this and this thing will be fixed. And you might be waiting for that. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of times you're not going to hear that. Because God has already given His promises to us. So instead of waiting on a new proclamation, remember what He's already said. Be reminded of what He has already left for us. Of the truth that He has already spoken. And take that and apply it to your current situation. And realize it is just as good for you now as it was for those that lived and walked in that time that it was written. That it's just as helpful and just as relevant and just as necessary for us in today's walk as it was for them back then. Amen. I'm thankful for the Scripture. I'm thankful for the...